0: Hello, and welcome to the Recovery Matters podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine.
1: Phil. Good morning, Sandy. Hello. Hello. Hello.
2: You've had a rough week.
1: I did have a rough week.
2: You want to share your list of ailments? (laughs) Not
1: really, but I think it started with uh, poison ivy, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: toothache, Mm -hmm. uh, sore knee. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, a little tummy trouble somewhere in the middle.
1: Yeah, a little bit of that too.
2: (laughs) Something I never thought I would hear in our house, so we have two kids at home right now and you turned to me at one point the other day and said you're the healthiest in the house right now i was like yes yeah. i knew someday that would happen
1: yeah the toothache was pretty sore and they ended up having to pull that and poison ivy got to, uh picking up beaches you know getting in the weeds mm-hmm. picking up all that plastic and glass Got poison ivy on my hands and under my eyes, and oh, and my sore knee is from an operation from, what, in the 70s? Catching up with me.
2: But as someone who has officially known you now for over 30 years. Yes. I have seen you handle this with much more grace than you would have handled this amount of ailments in the past.
1: I think I get used to it. Practice makes perfect. (laughs) Unfortunately. And I think that happens when we get older. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So we are both uh, in more than decades of recovery. Mm -hmm. How many years do you have now? 29 and a half. 29 and a half. You're approaching 30. Mm -hmm. Are you going to celebrate me in September if I make it? Of course. I would love that. And I have 33 years Mm -hmm. working on 34. And when we go to the um, stages of recovery in the Recovery Coach Academy, Mm -hmm. there's different stages. They only really cover the first 10 years. So I decided to summarize some of the characteristics of people I've seen in long term recovery with 20 plus years. And we decided to label that stage fulfillment.
2: Well, what are the ones that come before fulfillment?
1: That's a good question, and I do have my book right here. So, the fir- year one is stabilization, year two is deepening, years three through five are connectedness, and years six through ten, roughly, are integration, and we dive into those uh, more. Um, in the Recovery Coach Academy, just to give coaches an idea
3: mm-hmm.
1: of where people might be. And they're not, they're just a framework. They're not, you know, perfection or anything. They're not written in stone for sure. But fulfillment really talks about um, what people often have in common that have worked a program of recovery for many years. And how about we go through some of these and see, have a discussion about each one of them?
2: I would love to talk about fulfillment with you.
1: You would, but you weren't too excited on the car ride here this morning about this. How come? Because I got like radio silence when I mentioned this idea.
2: The reason I wasn't totally interested in talking about fulfillment was because I feel like at some point in this conversation, uh, one room cabin with an outhouse deep in the main woods is going to come up and we're going to (laughs) fight.
1: Well, it could if that's fulfillment, but let's talk about these and see if it does come up. All right. And just because that cabin might materialize in our discussion, it could be for me. You could have your other place where you go. Maybe we, we would be fulfilled that way. Yeah. And
2: maybe we should mention that we have been Married 27 years, and we've known each other for 30 years. Okay. That could add some color to the discussion.
1: That we've known each other for 30 years. Yeah. And married for 27.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I guess I can't continue to call you my current wife.
2: Well, you know,
1: no, it's you could
2: of... go on to number three at some point, but not today.
1: No, I, I think those days are over. So the first characteristic under fulfillment, discovering and following through on life's purpose. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So I'll tell you a little bit about my story is, I think it was many years ago when we were doing uh, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. And it was 40 days and Mm -hmm. you had to read through it. It's a book study. It's a book study, yeah. And he had some purposes for all people who, like, followed the Christian faith, right? And me being me, I rebelled against those.
2: Usually <laughs> your first reaction. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I rebelled against those and really started to pray and meditate about what my purpose was. And it became pretty clear. It was pretty simple. It was to carry the message of recovery. mm mm-hmm. Right. My ministry, if you will, was to carry the message of recovery and whether that was in my personal life, you know, my work life um, with friends, neighbors, relatives, whatever, carry the message of recovery. I'm reminded that sometimes I might be the only example of recovery that a person might see, not necessarily hear see you know, that's
2: but, good because if they heard you when you're driving in the car
1: Oh yeah I'm not always um, clean and serene there am I? Um, my sponsor always said it's the it was his last throne <laughs> and I, I agree with that that's my last throne driving in the passenger seat. Uh, so it was to carry the message of recovery and carried me well through my career at Seacar until 2015 when I decided through uh, prompting from a power greater than myself to walk the Appalachian Trail, and my purpose became clearer or refined, I say. And the two things that just make my heart sing, it's the way I'm wired, is recovery, to see lives redeemed, and coaching, Mm -hmm. is to really spur people on and encourage them to to strive for their potential, to better their lives, however, whatever that might look for them. So uh, my purpose now is to coach recovery. It's pretty simple, but it helps me frame everything I choose to do or not do, if it fits with my purpose or not. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that?
2: I do, Mm -hmm. and you're good at it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've often referred to, Um, when it's almost like you open an umbrella over the person's head of love and encouragement and, um, belief in that person. And they just kind of rise up and shine when you're, when you're turning that on. Um, and it certainly helped me through some pretty significant events in my journey.
1: I I love what you talked about. I believe in you and I've, I've written and talked about that often, That I think those are some of the most powerful words that I can say to someone is I believe in you Mm -hmm. and It's true because I do believe in people Mm -hmm. most recent example Is Mary when she went to get her driver's Mm -hmm. license and we were she was driving home or we were driving somewhere she was parking and getting a little frustrated and
2: and Mary I, is our youngest, Yeah, 16.
1: And I told her, I believe in you. You can get this done. And she didn't say anything, which is, I mean, she really kind of heard that and mm-hmm. absorbed it. And she went on to pass her driver's test, right? Yeah. Was she nervous when she did that?
2: Yeah, but... but... Where I see a huge difference is, so she passed the test and got the license. I thought she'd be a little reluctant to go off on her own too often in the car. Mm-hmm. Nope. She's been gone all week. Yeah. All over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that shows that she has the confidence in her ability to just need to get past that hurdle.
1: Mm-hmm. What's your life's purpose? Yeah. Discovering and following through on life purpose.
2: So... Pretty interestingly, in high school, when you have to start thinking about careers, I thought about social work.
3: Hmm.
2: And I didn't pursue it because I couldn't imagine removing a child from their parent or leaving a child with a parent that I didn't think the child should be left with. So in my teenage mind, that was the work of social workers, that you were getting involved in a family's life. You were approaching it as though you knew something better than they did or could do it better or the state could do it better. So that's the only concept I had of a social worker. So I ruled it out, majored in accounting, just because I like to add columns and numbers. <laughs> you yeah, like that, your
1: columns. That
2: didn't work out. Changed my major to business management because I thought it was a smart thing to do.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And um, got a job with a big insurance company and, you know, did that for the next 33 years. You
1: started in the mailroom, literally. Not the mailroom,
2: the records department, which was a step up from the mailroom.
1: Sounds like the mailroom to me.
2: Yeah. And ended up as a. Uh, Director of Performance Enablement, leading
1: thirty-three years, thirty-three years,
2: enabled to retire. So, but throughout that time, because I live with you, I'm waiting for (laughs) this like divine calling, and I would keep satisfying myself that I did find satisfaction in the work that I did, and every few years I would. Be, you know, move into a new position or a new area or a new team or whatever it was to change it up because I am change hardy. I do like change. And so I still didn't feel that greater calling um, and couldn't figure out what my purpose was. And I would say about 10 years ago, you started telling me my calling was to work in recovery, which, you know, you're the leader of the fan club for recovery, right? So that would make sense that you would think that that was what I should do. But again, to me, it looked messy. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, There would be heartbreak. There would be miracles, but there would be heartbreak. And I thought that probably having your spouse choose your calling is not the best way to go about it. Because at this point in my life, I absolutely have a very strong faith in a higher power. Uh, And so I thought God should tell me what that was. And I kept getting these little promptings, but I assumed it was your voice and not God's voice. Although you sound a lot like God sometimes.
1: Jeepers, stop it, Sandy. (laughs) So
2: anyway, I, um, as, as I've shared in a, a different podcast, uh, God basically shook me loose out of that corporate life, um, shook me loose with tears over a period of three months, and I was able to retire from that company. But throughout those three months, and then the two months following, I'm still like, all right, God, could you send it in an email? You could you could drop a tablet just not on my head, but could you somehow make it so clear? Because at this point, I'm 52 years old. I don't have a whole lot of time to keep changing up my purposes, right? Mm-hmm. I want to go after the one that God wanted me to follow.
1: You may, it's like these signs. And I started to laugh because I was thinking of Bruce Almighty,
3: mm-hmm.
1: where he's like, show me a sign. And he drives into the back of this truck full of signs well, and he still didn't see it. Show was, me a sign.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was the irony that that all the messages from the humans in my life, from a TV show, from books, magazines, everywhere that I was connected over that, that season, which was happened to be over the course of a summer... They all told me to rest, to be still and rest, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this was a giant leap of faith, leaving a really substantial income, and I was felt like I was free falling. And then, anyway, fast forward, um, had some experiences. I had a chance to go to the Recovery Coach Academy. I had a chance to work on the virtual curriculum for the Recovery Coach Academy and for ethics. And I had a chance to travel with you to a speaking engagement that you had at the University of Connecticut. And at the end of your speech, I stood up next to the executive director of Student Health and Wellness. She said, I've never done this before, and I immediately got goosebumps. But would you consider helping out for a while with our students in recovery? And I had spirit, I call them spirit mm-hmm. rushes, but it's like my hair stands on end. I feel goosebumps up and down my arms, down the back of my neck. And for me, whenever that I've had that experience, mm-hmm. it has been God.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That, that That is the presence of God. It's an affirmation. And so uh, two and a half years later, that's where I am. And... I've gotten the confidence that this is my calling because when I look at any other type of work other than working in the recovery community, it's like a wall. There's just a barrier. When I think about it, it's a wall. Nope. That's not it. And so, you know, I have admitted this before, so this is not as painful as it was the first time, but maybe God was speaking through you when you thought I should work with the recovery community and it is messy but the miracles that we get to hear in this studio the miracles that i see outside this room of people in recovery um has been other than our family the greatest blessing
1: you always said too before um all those years you dreamt about working on a college campus. Mm-hmm. That was always a dream of yours. Yeah. And now you combine working with on a college campus with recovery.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being in a team meeting um, and, you know, an icebreaker exercise. What would be your dream job? And more than just being on a campus, I said, I want to work on the campus of the University of Connecticut because when I was in high school, I got I took the SATs one time, It's kind of embarrassing now because our kids have all overachieved this number, but I got 1070 and you needed 1100 to go to UConn and my parents wouldn't pay for me to take the SATs again. So I went to a different state school, but I remember like it was always this thing that I wanted to achieve and, um, you know, as long as something unusual doesn't happen, I'm actually going to be a grad student at the University of Connecticut in August.
1: getting your master's in what? Social work. How about
2: that? How about that?
1: And the other ironic part of all that was I got, well, I flunked out of the University of Connecticut. It took me 10 years to get my degree. And you asked me, not so much that I was your husband, but as the executive director of the Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery, to serve on the UConn Recovery Community Um, advisory council Mm -hmm. which is pretty funny because i got (laughs) because i got kind of like booted for my alcohol and drug use and now i'm on the advisory council Mm -hmm. i'm like okay
2: and to me that's got god redeems it he just redeems it all
1: Mm -hmm. sometimes
2: quickly sometimes slowly Mm -hmm. but he's got you
1: so the next two we are we are reviewing some of the ideas of Fulfillment and it's by no means uh, an exhaustive or comprehensive list. It's just some ideas about uh, living in late With multiple years of recovery, Mm -hmm. you know like a couple decades or so or more and these next two are similar Living within an aura of peace and serenity (laughs) and a dramatic reduction in worry And when I do this in the class, I often talk about that I'm not much of a worrier. Mm -hmm. And you can ask my wife, Sandy, and you will say that I don't worry, but you will do enough worrying for the both of us. Yeah, I
2: got us covered. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Do you worry as much as you did?
2: No, because I have countless examples in the rearview mirror. Mm Mm-hmm. Where I can see God at work, and I have gotten to a place of when, um, when something is really stirred up for me, um, that I know God's doing something, and I just can't see it right now. Mm-hmm. So, He's, I've, I've got that confidence that it'll all work out okay, but. I still like immediate gratification. I want some, I like to know where's the destination, where's the next stop. So, because we had this conversation recently. I love project planning.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I love it. And um, I had said to you that I get so much joy in the planning. And you said it's not the planning, it is the project management. Mm hmm. So somebody has told me where I'm going, and I figure out the rest. And that's been a um, definite part of my career. Like, cast the vision, and I'll make it happen. And so the fact that you love to cast a vision in addition to a fishing line. Yeah, works but you out don't pretty always, well.
1: We don't always share the vision. No. no. You don't always agree with it.
2: No. Yeah. And I was so codependent at the beginning of our relationship that I would have done it anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was probably a little frustrating oh, that was a little I...
1: resentment thrown in there too that you had to do yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now
2: I have more opinions. hmm But I'm willing to compromise.
1: But I think I also we have a lot of practice in reducing our worry because if we wanted to, we could we have many of our kids that we could be worrying about full time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you have a daughter living in Nairobi, Kenya, well, and out in the jungle at times. Mm-hmm. And where is she now? She's at like some bus hotel or tiny, I don't know. What I is. don't know.
2: But that's a perfect example, right? Yeah. And, and not to mention my own worry, having well-intended people in our life, you're going to let her do it? That's the first Yeah,
1: you're <laughs> going to let her go to Africa? First question, Wait, right?
2: So not our parenting model to tell our adult children
3: what, what they do. can and can't
2: do, right? But, yeah. But the second thing is you must be so afraid of what could happen to her there. And she came home her first Christmas and got into a pretty horrific car accident. She was fine physically other than soreness, Mm -hmm. but the car was total. It was at nine in the morning. She was on her way to have coffee for a friend and somebody using substances ran ran the light. So worrying about what could happen to her with a baboon or uh, in the slums of Nairobi when something bad happened to her two miles from our house. Yeah. So I've learned by looking at things like that, 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 you know, God's got you. Right. And whatever okay. happens, we can walk through it.
1: We had a son with intense migraines that caused us great concern. Another son had his run-in with substances and um we had our concerns there and i think we were pretty good worry might have crept in but i'm not i'm very well aware when i start to worry that it serves no purpose Uh, so it's more about um, what's the best question i can ask and planning that and thinking about that and assessing um, the situation And uh, addressing it as it comes up, and not being afraid to, and not being afraid to address it, you know, a, a fear of confrontation. Let's talk about it, um, and I think that's helped a lot. So, um, and I really, worry takes up so much time, mm. and, and it's like it's such a negative emotion. Of worry generates fear. And the more you worry, the more fear you generate. So I know like Don's over here and I, that story about the rut in his head, you know, the, the brain path that, that in your head. And if you keep walking around the worry path in your head, it's just going to keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. Right, Don?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, you know, the first time I actually tried prayer as a tool for worry was when I was Pregnant with Joshua, my mm-hmm. first pregnancy. That is something I could have I wanted to be a mom. I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a memory of not wanting to be a mom. And so that, all that could go wrong, that I couldn't see inside of me, like that made me crazy. So the only way I could deal with it was every morning and every night, I would pray for that baby. Mm-hmm. and And I had a... Uh, a little traumatic delivery but i had a very healthy baby right
1: and Came so about the little green man
2: <laughs> those those patterns not that i always get my wish with the prayer but the peace and the connection and the you've used the word right sizing myself to know that that there are things within my control and things without my control and prayer reminds me that i am not the higher power in my life Mm-hmm. And that has made all the difference.
1: When we talk about living with uh, within an aura of peace and serenity, uh, you might find this hard to believe, but I usually am pretty peaceful most of the time, except maybe when I'm driving. But you think like, you really, when I make those comments, think I'm like really agitated deep within. It's very surface oriented. So it's just one of those things that just comes out and I let it go. But most of the time, um, I think I'm pretty level-headed. It's not that I don't have emotion. I have a lot of emotion. Uh, I, I, I realize I do feel deeply. I mean, we have a couple friends that are going through some really tough times now. They're Through the pandemic, there's been grief and loss from both sides and friends of ours. And just to think about that, so we do, we do feel and Mm -hmm. so but when you have a it's like the calm in the storm Mm -hmm. you know that's the classic biblical story is just is just that there's storms around us but i can remain calm in the storm and that i think i've always been wired that way that when stuff really starts to spiral or get chaotic uh i keep my cool Uh, i've been calm that way Maybe that's the way uh, a a leader reacts. I'm not sure. You're smiling about all that, though.
2: No, no, I agree. Honestly, the the car is the only place I see you routinely.
1: No, I think now I just do it to bug you. (laughs) Well, it it works
2: because all that is negative energy I'm feeling. Um, It's
1: not that negative. It's just playful.
2: So the first prayer that I learned in recovery was the serenity prayer. Mm -hmm. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And serenity and peace have been something I've been seeking. And so about 15-plus years ago, you know how some people choose a word for a year? I chose the word peace because at the time I guess I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that peace that surpasses all understanding, Mm. that I could be peaceful in the midst of the storm, as you were talking about. And there was a woman that I was working with, Anisha, who knew I loved the word peace. And she gave me this wooden sign for my 40th birthday and signed it. And just a couple years later, she, she passed away from cancer. At a, at a young age mm-hmm. and so I've always signed my emails for the most part peace mm-hmm. and um, and it's because I truly want that for others because that peace that surpasses all understanding is the greatest gift if you deal with anxiety mm. um, is to have that to know that it's going to be alright so I'm sure folks that receive my emails the first time are like what what the heck is this? Um, not too many people ask me the story behind it, but that's that's what I would wish for others, not just regards, but peace.
1: Well, the fourth thing on the list is acceptance. And I think you could do a whole podcast on acceptance, but um, if you accept things just as the way they are,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, there is a lot of peace in that. Uh, the difficult part of the serenity prayer is is having the courage to change the things you can and the wisdom to know the difference so um, what can I change and what can I what can I do in this situation what's my role and do I have the courage and pray for the courage to do that um, sometimes uh, doing nothing is the appro- is the appropriate response mm-hmm yeah i mean how many times have i just like social media always comes up in my head where i see somebody post something that's just i think is outrageous and i want to respond is that wise (laughs) to respond or just you know i there's a person that used to work for us that she used to say let the grenade roll by don't pick up the grenade (laughs) Just let the grenade roll by. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, That is probably where I still probably struggle a little bit. And I think it's because it, like, even the worry has become very selfish on my part, self-centered, you know, that I want to be. In closer proximity to our kids, mm-hmm. I want to live on a house on the beach or a lake,
1: mm-hmm. on a
2: body of water. Uh,
1: what if it was a small cabin on a body of water with an outhouse? No, you couldn't accept that. <laughs> you can accept the outhouse part, right?
2: I can't accept the outhouse.
1: I would say after like two or three weeks, you'd you'd accept it. You get you get used to it. No, I guess not. Um,
2: I've seen what comes out about houses that are not two-legged, so so thank you.
1: Uh, Well, next on our list. Yes. By the way, I do want to point out that when we talk about dramatic reduction in worry, acceptance, uh, peace, and serenity, that over the last... um, Two years, especially since you settled into your role with Yukon, that that has improved dramatically within you. You had it in every area of your life unless unless you started to talk about work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talked about the breakdown, but there was a good two, three, four years before that where work was incredibly stressful for you. Yeah. And, and now that you've kind of shed that, you do seem much more peaceful.
2: You know, what's interesting. And, and though, you're not
1: nearly as sensitive as you used to be. No. <laughs>
2: but I pull some darts out daily sometimes from you and the kids at dinner. It's all done mm-hmm. in fun. But mm-hmm. um, but I've I've gotten to a place where I've asked for that because I'm ready to I'm ready to hear hard things and to process them and work on them. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting, if I look back, because throughout my career, I've been reviewed. I've had anonymous reviews, employer reviews, leader reviews, uh, class participant reviews, and everybody always remarks on how peaceful I am.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and, you know, it it's closer to the truth now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting how I was able to project that because that's what people wanted to see for a long time, I could project that, even though inside I'm having a completely different experience. I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm, you know, uh, hurt. Like all those things are going on inside. So my experience remembers the time together through those emotions that I'm controlling inside. And they're just seeing this nice serene smile and how calm I am.
1: You're like the duck on the water, just cruising around, perfectly still yeah. and calm on top and feet going like feet crazy. Going,
2: hey, that's, that's a good one, Phil Valentine.
1: Yeah, once in a while.
2: Anyway, I'm, um, I'm paddling slower now.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the outside is matching the inside. So we have this idea of a high level of morality and integrity
3: mm.
1: with people with decades of recovery. I wonder about people that have 20, 30 years of recovery and uh, they cheat on their taxes or they uh, steal things from work. Remember the paperclip story? (laughs)
2: Yeah, so we're, <laughs> we're doing a Bible study and we're talking about how can you measure sin, right? Yeah. Is it is it always it doesn't say it in the Bible anywhere that that there's levels of sin other than what's mentioned in the mm-hmm. 10 commandments.
1: Mhm.
2: You know, and somebody said it's like stealing a pen for work and I had a paper clip
1: <laughs> from in work. my hand from he work. chucked it in the Chucked it away. My paper clip. Oh no. I think that's true, and it was actually my sponsor, Rick, who pointed that out to me, that that as we pursue a spiritual life, as we pursue recovery, part of that is your morality and your integrity become deeper. And um, we have uh, some fascinating discussions in spirituality for recovery coaches about Morality and who sets morality and a lot of people respond to that you set your own morality mm-hmm. Well, I I don't I don't buy into that because then I could just shift my morality for whatever suits me mm-hmm. You know it becomes very self-centered uh, So I need either the law or I need a God or I need some but something to set that bar so high for me to strive to and I don't know that uh, I can never get to that, and can I ever be perfectly honest, you know, can I, all those kinds of things, I mean it's like, and I'm talking about with myself too, can I be perfectly honest with myself?
2: I think that's the key point, you know, I was working with somebody who was working with somebody, Uh and they shared that I caught them in a lie, Uh and this lie didn't hurt the person who's sharing this story with me, right? Mm -hmm. And I've come to believe that, yeah, people are are lying to you throughout the week. Mm -hmm. Somebody might be telling you a lie. Um, But I no longer look at it as being about me if they're doing that, that I almost want to say, oh, you just don't have to do that. Like Mm -hmm. you're doing that to you. You're like chipping away in a negative way the more that you tell. And I was a good liar when I was 19. I mean, I would rehearse my lies so that, <laughs> you know, I've said before, I don't have a true recollection of what actually happened because I would hone and practice because I'm not a performer. I'm not an actress. The
1: lies became real.
2: So the li- I would need to make the lies real for me. Mm-hmm. But that all of that was stuff I did to me. So there, there are times your lies hurt other people for sure, but you are hurting yourself way more than you're hurting anybody else for the most part.
1: That's a great point. I, I don't, I don't, I can't even try try to think of when I actually lied to somebody directly recently. I don't. I can't even.
2: You ordered something that you didn't tell me about and that wasn't a lie. You just didn't tell me about it until after it was done. It was something for Matthew, I think. And you were like a mess telling me that you had gone ahead and I don't even remember what it was. So that I don't either. See, yeah. I don't have a scorecard anymore, but you or you oh no, you you paid for training for him.
1: Oh. And for, we hadn't uh, yeah.
2: discussed it. Yeah, I which is training. unusual. Right. And you were like I was just looking at your whole thing. That must have been so, like, out of character because I can't remember another time. And you weren't lying. You just hadn't told me until...
1: It, it was a sin of omission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, so, that, so I know when it bothers me internally, and what she's talking about is Matthew wanted some soccer training and, during... Uh, what was Winter it? break. Winter break, and I paid for I said, oh, go ahead and do it, and... I didn't think you would have approved of that, but I did it anyway, so that wasn't good. And it's it, it doesn't sit well with me anymore. And you can read it and see how bad it bothers me. So it's a lot easier not to do that. Yeah. Just do it up front. Have the discussion up front.
2: I did get some enjoyment out of your discomfort.
1: I'm glad. No, I'm not. Uh, confidence based with humility. And... Sometimes people don't think those two go together But I think they actually live very well together You can be confident and you can be humble at the same time I've often heard that when alcoholics are drinking or addicts are using their egomaniacs with an inferiority complex So I always think the egomania gets tempered to confidence and the inferiority complex gets tempered to Humility which are both more healthy.
2: That's a good one. I don't think I've ever heard you say that before
1: Well, how about that? But that I I share that when I talk about it at the recovery coach Academy, too Mm -hmm. Is that we just level the playing field a little bit? Uh, And I think in my life, I've had enough experience now of uh, Living in recovery and pursuing recovery for 33 years that there's some confidence that this is working And I've had incredible adventures, lots of love in my life, very supportive, meaningful relationships. Um, And I also like to think that I'm not all that. I think it was Carl Sagan that said, you know, that um, I'm just one of billions and billions and billions of human lives that have been on this planet Earth. Why would I think I'm all that? You know, so that's that's humbling, you know,
0: yeah. and that's
1: ties into the next thing about being uh, and I think it was Rick that also talked to me about being precious and insignificant.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So that really plays the insignificance of ones of billions and billions of lives. But I also believe I'm precious in God's eyes and God's love and care. He created me. God created me. Here I am. And I know he cares for me. He doesn't make any junk. So I'm precious too. And I'm okay with both. I'm okay with being precious and I'm okay with being insignificant.
2: Again, I think so much of what we think we do for others, right, to have an impact, the impact is for us. So if you've helped A hundred people get into recovery. If you've played some role in that process, the ego would say, I got a hundred people into recovery, but your heart has evolved and Mm -hmm. been fulfilled for being able to experience those moments. But the world would tell us we have to claim the result. And I've really struggled because of my career, and because I was early on back in 2002, somebody in a leadership role working remotely that I had, and and the annual performance review, you have to attest to some level of performance. And so, how do you keep your ego in check and still ensure that, you know, You have a job for another year, you get the raise that you want, the Mm -hmm. bonus, whatever whatever that affirmation that you did well. How do you communicate that? And I've wrestled with it a lot because we need to prove that we've been successful to hopefully have more success and do more things. But at the same time, how does that sound? And I think it's particularly challenging as not challenging to be a white person, but I'm challenging my thinking, how much of that is privilege that I can do that versus um, experience.
1: Mm -hmm. I think, too, you can tell a lot about a person about when you ask them about leadership and what being a leader means. And uh, I'm a fan of John Maxwell who writes a lot of leadership books and all that, but he talks about the number one goal of a leader is developing other leaders. And so that's you supporting and lifting up other people, me lifting and supporting other people who in turn will lift and support other people. So if the number, and I believe that with all my heart now that the number one goal of leader, of a leader is to develop other leaders. And recently I was on a Zoom meeting and someone was leading this initiative and she said um, that the purpose was to see how many people she could get to follow her. And I was like, that to me is misguided. That's egomania, not confidence. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: You know, so it's not about, and I think we see that a lot in our culture now that Influencers, right? Mm -hmm. It's how many people you can get to follow you on social media. Okay. That's pretty egotistical in a lot of ways, unless you're using that for good of some kind. Right. Yeah.
2: You know, I came from a work culture where I was ranked every year, and the bottom 25% of the list were usually eliminated right before Thanksgiving, right? So that drives a behavior. That's awful, by the That's way. That's not. Isn't that, isn't that awful? It's not a great culture to at work Tom's in.
1: face, he's like, oh, my gosh, it is.
2: So how do I keep my spot, right? How do I keep above at least the 50% so that, that I'm not even on the table for elimination? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had a real stronghold that I was the, the financial rock of our family, um, which mm-hmm. I've worked my way through. It's refreshing being in an environment on a college campus where the best thing I can do is lift student voices, give them an opportunity to be able to present. It's so freeing. Yeah, that's right,
1: too. Mm-hmm. Uh, lift others. And that's, that's confidence that you can do that, but your ego's in check and you're humble enough that you don't need the spotlight that it's 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 cool it's it's more gratifying for me to see other people mm-hmm. get the spotlight and then in turn understand and evolve through that whole process and and put others in the spotlight right mm-hmm. and the last two on this for uh, for our stage 5 fulfillment of recovery in recovery is A gratitude and celebration. So anything you want to say about gratitude and or celebration?
2: When I, I can't be thankful and resentful in the same moment. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So, you know, resentment is not beneficial to recovery. And for those that have never heard this before, the best thing I ever heard about resentment was to break down the word, and it's re-sentiment. So something hurts you, and most of the time when you're hurt, you get angry. And that anger experienced again and again, the sentiment of anger, is resentment. Mm -hmm. And you got to go back and fix the hurt.
1: And play it over and over and over again. Right. It only makes it... Stronger.
2: But I can't be resentful and thankful at the same time. And I can get a little stuck there. Um, And that's where having a partner in recovery who can pull me out of it. Um, You know, last weekend we celebrated Mother's Day and I was not having a good day. I had both resentment and grief happening in the same day, mm-hmm. um, resentment because of the way uh, an institution was handling something that I didn't agree with, and grief because for, for whatever reason, you know, nine months after my sister's passing, I was really feeling the loss.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and at first I got a little mad when you said this, but how did you unlock me?
1: uh I said so let's go out for food but first let's go visit my mom
2: yeah so like let's change the environment
1: mm-hmm. move a muscle change a thought
2: yeah <laughs> um I was so thankful that our kids went with us the yeah. two that are at home and um, just those two couldn't coexist for me anymore
1: and they saw and I think part of seeing my mom who's 87 and... Pretty much homebound um, just uh, makes us aware that we still have a lot to be grateful for mm-hmm. right that we're not homebound where we still even though I've had all these issues this week I, <laughs> I'm still up and around and kicking and moving and smiling and all that yeah and and even though I was I think gratitude must penetrate all my actions you know it If i am grateful for what i have and i have a lot then i am truly rich so if i'm always looking at at what i don't have then i could never be thankful for what i do so we have so much we have you know (laughs) i just think of our home our vehicles um materialistic you know we could always if you're going to look at material and materialistic Um, items you could all there's no that's a a bottomless pit Mm -hmm. because you could always want better more higher quality more better higher quality more better more 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 but if you're so thrilled with what you have my gosh that just makes your heart sing Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's for me and I work on that every day and I like To use things till they're worn out a lot of times because i just think wow we got so much use out of that (laughs) but really what it comes down to is you can't take anything material with you and i have to be grateful for the people in my life and i am i'm grateful for you every day grateful for our kids grateful for my parents uh extremely grateful for the people that I get to see every day that I work with, you know, um, all the projects we're doing. Um, and really I think it's, uh, uh, I put my life under the care of God. Right. And so I'm grateful for God that he's taking care of me. (laughs) Even, even through like body breakdowns and, Mental turmoil here and there and tough situations. He's always 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 taking care of me How could I not be grateful for that?
2: Yeah, I have to work on it harder than you
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I don't know why that is exactly Because I can think about the i don't think i'm a glass empty person but i can definitely think about so i had matthew and mary on mother's day but i didn't have josh and sammy Mm -hmm. and the you know Mm -hmm. extended family and i can just rest in that too long so maybe that's the difference between 29 years and 33 years
1: Hopefully, maybe. Hopefully.
2: So there's still hope for me. Um, but having people in your life that can authentically and lovingly point that out mm-hmm. is, is how God works through other people for me. Um, you usually piss me off, so it's probably got to be somebody else.
1: <laughs> well, I agree with that. Yeah. And when we talk about celebrating... Um... When you're when you're grateful, you are celebrating. So, yeah. I can be in the woods, um, and walking, buddy, talk with Matt maybe or whatever, and something like an owl shows up in a tree. And when you're like with, with Matt or you know like a paradox or even some of the kids that just find awe, mm-hmm. and wow, look at that owl in the tree. I get so filled with gratitude and warmth, and I, it's almost like a spiritual thing. Or uh, the way that the leaves right now are opening up and the whole f- woods mm-hmm. and the forest is changing. So all of that, and I don't want to sound too hokey or corny, but it is it is a celebration. And a lot of, it's a celebration of life. And I don't know that a lot of people really internalize or contemplate what it means to be alive I mean there's many people that are alive but not living
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, because for me to celebrate and be grateful for everything around me find moments of awe in in small things it's just really cool like you've seen me Like, we'll be driving down to the beach, and I'll, look at that hawk, you know, like, up in the sky. And you're like, watch the road. I'm like, look, it's a hawk, you know, or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, And recently, just because of my social media thing, that I see so much negativity, I've had an Instagram where I've really focused on outdoor pics of animals and nature scenes. And that's, for me, like the awe. And I just want to post a lot of those, just uh, in the story, just so because I, it's a, my feeble attempt <laughs> at making Instagram a little better place. <laughs> I don't know, but um, and finally, the celebration for me, and I believe the best is yet to come. I always have believed that. I don't think like because our kids are out of the house or moving out of the house that. Oh, I wish we had those years back. I'm so grateful that they are moving on and look what they're doing. And I'm excited to see what they're going to do from this point forward. I'm excited to see where we can go, where we can travel. We're still figuring out what that might look like. But I have to tell you, Cindy, I am not afraid of dying. I'm not. Because I think that's the biggest celebration of all. That when my spirit finally connects with what I've come to know as God, that'll be exactly where I'm supposed to be. So, you know, we often look at death as like termination of and sadness and grief, but but when I die, it's going to be a celebration, and I want it to be a celebration because I have faith that I know where I'm going. And one of the examples was when Art passed away, right? You know how much I loved Art? I still do. But when he died, it's like his energy burst. And he's everywhere. And I can feel it. And I know that's mystical and spiritual. And But I think that happens all the time. We just don't pay enough attention to it. Mm-hmm. We're just part of a, a bigger force. and. It's all to be celebrated.
2: I agree. And I'm not afraid of dying either. I'm I just don't wanna die before we're done raising the kids.
1: <laughs> well, I I think I might miss some things because I do love to see the things that they do and all of that. And is that but I also think that will all be redeemed in in the world beyond, too, I think that uh, I think that we'll we will know and oh, yeah. we'll see, and we might even be a part of. Um, but it would be the next great adventure. Is whatever happens after fulfillment or after we leave here? I don't know. Maybe the ultimate fulfillment is uh, the next life. I'm not sure. I don't know, but I'm not. I don't fear it. Uh, I celebrate what's to happen. I celebrate all the lives and the shoulders I've stood on. Um, And I think we just ought to, you know, take more joy in our life. So I would just
2: encourage anybody listening who thinks it's too late in their life to take a a leap of faith, in whatever way that means to you. It means how big that leap is, is is, uh, different lengths for all of us. Um, But I was so glad that I had you as my recovery coach to walk me through taking that leap. Because for today, I do feel fulfilled I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, and um, I'm glad we're doing so much more together.
1: Yeah, me too. You do know that you did it. You ultimately took all those steps that you needed to take. Yeah. I didn't do hard. I did 5%. You did 95%. I just might have asked you the right question at the right time. I believe in you.
2: (laughs) I believe in you too, Philip.
1: I think we're done. I'm tired.
2: (laughs) I think I'll go home now. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I'm tired. I think I'll go home now. I love you. Love you too, Sandy.
0: Thank you for listening to the Recovery Matters podcast. We hope that you have connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CCAR, the number four, Recovery. And on Instagram at Recovery Matters Podcast. And you can use the hashtag Recovery First to show support for our mission. Have questions, comments, feedback? Email us at podcast at CCAR.us. Fire feeds fire. So if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.